Our scripture reading is Philippians 1, beginning at verse 12, and we're going to be reading through verse 26. Let's uh, listen to God's holy and infallible word together. Now, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. And this is the Apostle Paul, uh, the great missionary, the great theologian of the New Testament, writing to the church of the Philippians. I want you to know that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. It's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, What has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. That's God's word for us. So in these verses... Uh, there's a theme of rejoicing and joy. We have rejoicing a couple of times, joy also a couple of times, those specific words. And we've seen so far in this book that the Philippian church is on the right track. And if you go by what we read the Philippians are commended for, that means faith church is on the right track as well. There are a million ideas uh, people have about the church, how a church should be, what makes a church successful, but we want to hear what the Bible says about that, and Paul really talks about and focuses on advancing uh, the gospel. Um, He talks about partnerships in ministry. He talks about people in the church, too, desiring and praying that their lives would be on the right track spiritually. As a church, we're we're not perfect. We want to keep growing. We want to keep improving in all sorts of ways. But we do see evidence of everything that Paul talks about in this first chapter here. And that's something to be extremely thankful for. In the verses we read today, Paul rejoices. He calls the church to rejoice And we might say this is a key value for God's people, to be joyful always, 
as Paul says later in the book. And we can rejoice for a number of reasons. And the first uh, was that we, like Paul in prison, can rejoice even in difficult circumstances. Though any of us would give practically anything to avoid suffering, yet even in our trials, God is at work. And through them, he prepares us in unique ways to advance the gospel, like he's talked about, to share the good news uh, so that we can connect with others who are struggling and outside the church and bring them the Lord's hope. And, And so that even in the midst of hard times, God's people can still rejoice. Even in our hard times, we can rejoice, like Paul in prison. There was once um, an 18,000-person army of Napoleon. So this is back a ways, right? Early 1800s. Um, This 18,000 army of Napoleon uh, was advancing on an Austrian town that had no way to defend itself. And the town council had nearly decided uh, to give up, to surrender. It was hopeless when the old dean of the church reminded everybody that it was Easter and begged them, hey, can we just hold services as usual, give praise to our risen Lord and, and leave the trouble in God's hands? And so that's what they did. Uh, When the French army heard the church bells ringing joyfully, calling people uh, to worship, their conclusion was that uh, an Austrian army had come to save the town, and they broke camp right away. Uh, Before those bells were done ringing, the enemy army had completely vanished. The reality is this sort of thing happens... At least it can happen uh, in believers' lives, too. And we, we, we see it in, in Paul's life, uh, rejoicing while he's in chains, uh, we read. And on through history, there are those believers who have rung the joy bells in the face of pain, in sickness, in poverty, in fear, in sorrow, in loneliness, and all sorts of other trials. And then the joy bells have conquered. The foe slinks away, and the bell ringers find themselves in possession of the field because there is no enemy that's quite so strong as our faith accompanied with rejoicing. So we can rejoice, church, even in difficult circumstances, and we can also rejoice even though we deal in the church with imperfect people. We read in verses 15 to 18 about people competing with Paul as they preach, and they consider Paul a rival, and they're envious of him. But he says, and I don't know if you found this a little bit strange, He says, if they're sharing Christ, then I'm not going to worry about their motives. I just rejoice that Christ is being preached. And so that's a very interesting thing to say. And it makes me think about the fact of how we deal with imperfect people who have imperfect motives all the time in the church. Uh, You've only got to look in the mirror to find someone like that. 
But we tend to focus on the people around us. And, and, and when we do, what we tend to do is complain about these other folks rather than be joyful. Maybe you've seen this before, but I've seen examples of be, people being so touchy if someone rubs them the wrong way or says something not quite right in the church. Even though we're family, we're brothers and sisters, we're all on the same side, yet, yet we can take things so personally, we get so bristly, we get offended so easily. You've seen it. But thinking of imperfect people in, in the body of Christ, Paul doesn't focus on his wounded soul, his hurt feelings, him getting offended, even though we read they were outright trying to stir up trouble for him. They were stirring up trouble for him, but he doesn't focus on that. And it's pretty crazy that Paul can say in verse 18, but what does it matter? And on top of that, rejoice. How could Paul do this? How can we do that? Well, the reason he could is because his joy, his focus, they were, it was all connected with the gospel. The good news was being advanced, and so he rejoiced. And for those people who preached out of bad motives and were his rivals, they were still preaching Christ, and the gospel was being spread. Now, we know from other writings of Paul, if a false gospel, if something not true was being spread and preached by these people, you can bet that he would have got on that and called them out, but he doesn't. So apparently the truth was being preached, right? For Paul, sharing the good news of Jesus and his love was the most important thing in his life. And as long as that was going on, he could deal with some of these other things. They were minor in comparison to the big picture of the gospel going out. And, and, and we too, you know, think of the church here rejoicing with imperfect people. We have people of all different sorts, all different personalities. And rather than get annoyed or touchy about people who might bug us or do things a little differently than we would, the point is to rejoice because the gospel is being advanced here at faith. With all our differences, all different approaches and personalities, we are doing a great work here by God's grace. And that's what it's about. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about the mission. Christ crucified being proclaimed. And because that's happening, we can and we should rejoice. We're called to. We can also rejoice, church, because of the power of prayer. And Paul talks about the courage he gets from that uh, in verse 21 uh, because of the prayers of the Philippians. Paul knew the power that was in prayer, and he knew that he needed the power of the prayer of God's people. There's a, a well-known pastor. Uh, you might have heard of him before. His name is John Maxwell, and he preaches and speaks around the country, and he has a, a, a special group praying for him everywhere he goes. And in addition to that, there's one man who sits 
in, in, in the crowd, in the, in the audience, among the listeners or the congregation, every time he's speaking, every time he is preaching. And I'm sure that those prayers are a big reason that his ministry has been so successful over the years. And I'm also sure that this steady prayer support has been instrumental in his longevity. He's been doing this for 45 plus years, full-time ministry, and he's never been associated with any sort of scandal anywhere. And I'm convinced it has to do with the power of prayer, that group of people praying for him, that individual who's always out there praying as he preaches and speaks. But not not just big-time pastors like Paul or like John Maxwell need prayer. All God's people do. Our church does. Your pastors do. Uh, your elders and deacons and staff, other staff members, um, our musicians, our, our ministries, our worship services need praying over. And one thing in particular, speaking of the power of prayer, I'm just so impressed and, and have been for a long time by the number of people in this church family who go on their knees when people are going through tough times. I know of many people who have this prayer list of people struggling, whether it's recovery, long-time cancer struggles, and they're praying for them. Um, I, I can't even count the number of people who have come up to me in the midst of, of a trial and a struggle and have told me that the prayers of God's people here at faith, that's how they were sustained. And that gave them, like Paul, courage. And it saw them through. I give thanks for times of prayer that we have in our small groups, at faith, in our Bible studies, at leadership meetings, elders, deacons, and and council meetings, uh, in, in worship. I'm thankful for the, the people who at 9, 10, before every morning worship service, go there to pray for worship. And I'm thankful for people available to pray with people after morning worship. I give thanks for the faithfulness of a, a men's Wednesday morning prayer group. They're there every week to pray for our church, to pray for our people, and beyond You can give them uh, your prayer requests, and we know, as a family, they will pray fervently for you and your family or whatever. And guess what? You can be part of that group and praying with them. They'd love to have you join in. They would love it. And so, oh, church... We rejoice because of the power of the prayers of God's people. Even the power of the prayers of God's people right here. I think in the bulletin, if you look under uh, the prayer section, there are at least two paragraphs thanking this church for prayers for, a, for families who had gone through recent loss and hardship. We can also, and this is the the last thing I want to focus on in these verses, we can rejoice even in the face of death. 
Paul says, as this passage goes on, um, after talking about the prayer stuff, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So in prison, arrested multiple times for preaching Jesus, Paul knew where things were headed for him. At some point, they would kill him for the faith. At some point, he'd be a martyr. And in thinking of that end, he can't decide what's better, death or life. Who of us would say that? Who of us could say that? I I can't decide if I want to stay here or if I want to go home, you know? Uh, today, people don't like to talk about death. You've probably been and seen, I have, the inside of hospitals and cancer centers that uh, look more like a spa than point us to the life and death stuff that are happening in those places. We sanitize death. Uh, we don't want to deal with it. We want to pretend it doesn't happen. Um, but we've faced death as a church, obviously. In these last few weeks, we laid to rest. We said goodbye to Karen and Judy, to Sylvia and Jack. Beyond that, uh, what I think of when I think of, of facing death, um, how uh, week by week, year around, it's so challenging as anniversaries come and go for those who have family members no longer with them. And those anniversaries sting. Uh, Whether it's the anniversary of a husband called home or a wife, or a son or daughter, a father, a mother, uh, a brother. Uh, Dealing with death is challenging, and, and it's even more so if you really stop to think about your own death. And, and we tend, as life goes on, um, and I want to be careful what I say here, um, but just because someone is 85, 90, 95, uh, we think, well, that's kind of the natural course of things. As people, people get older, they get closer to death. But I got to tell you, that does not, just because someone is older of the age people die over the normal course of things, that doesn't make it easy. It's not easy for them. It's not easy for their loved ones. Yes, we know as believers, and we have the promise, that they're going to a better place. And those for whom death is close, humanly speaking, they, they know that. They believe in Jesus, but it still can be very hard. We can be children of God with that promise of eternal life, but have nagging doubts, and we can have uh, fears as we face the end. And of course, not one person here knows when our time is going to come. Uh, young, younger members of our church family have been taken to glory suddenly. Who's going to be next? going to be you, it's going to be me, could be any of us. But Paul seems to have this amazing indifference about death. It's almost like you could take this like, well, whatever. If I live, I live. If I die, I die. I feel like uh, the world might think this guy 
had a couple screws loose, right? But he did not have any screws loose. He was, his mind was absolutely right and clear. He knew that whether in life or death, he would be with his Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's not even, if you, if you caught this, it's not even that just one or the other would be fine, whatever God wants. He writes that to be with Christ, to die, is better by far. Better by far to die and be with Jesus. Paul talks about departing in verse 23, and that's a very specific word to refer to death, way to talk about it. Um, so departing, it, it's, like, uh, it's like a ship pulling up its anchor and sailing off, which is a very, a very tender, gentle image. And there's a poem uh, called The Ship that gives us this picture of dying that, that Paul is conveying here. So I want you to listen to the poem. I am standing upon that shore. A ship at my side spreads her white sails in the morning breeze and starts for the blue ocean. She is an object of beauty and strength, and I stand and I watch her until at length she hangs like a speck of white cloud just where the sea and sky come down to mingle with each other. So that's a picture of, of someone dying, right? And then someone at my side, also watching, says, there, she's gone. Gone where? Well, gone from my sight, that's all. She is just as large in mast and spar and hull as ever she was when she left my side, just as able to bear her load of living freight to the place of her destination. Her diminished size is in me, not in her. And just at that moment, when someone at my side says, there, she's gone, there are other eyes watching her coming and other voices ready to take up the glad shout, here she comes. And that is dying. And that's the perspective of faith that God's word gives us about our death. If only we could have uh, a bit more of Paul's attitude, whether in death or life, we ultimately win. We're with the Lord. We can rejoice. And that's very, very difficult for us to grasp, all of us who cling so tightly to this world. But the reality is, is that far shore is a far better place. Jesus and uh, the great cloud of witnesses who have gone before will receive us and welcome us home with a roar of joyful praise, the likes of which we have never heard, even if we were at Wrigley Field for uh, the World Series championship or in the United Center when Jordan was winning all those titles or in any number of settings where people are shouting and rejoicing. And, and so, Faith Church, that's the simple point I wanted to make from these verses that we've got reasons to rejoice. We've got reasons to rejoice. 
as a church, as individuals. Obviously, we rejoice for all the blessings. We rejoice for healthy babies born. We rejoice for graduations. We rejoice for baptisms, uh, for new ministries, for new members, for newly elected and current elders and deacons, for faithful service all around, for being able to pay our bills, and beyond that, to be able to support uh, ministries like Partners Worldwide because of the generosity of God's people here. What I think Paul gives us are, are some of the less obvious reasons that we might rejoice. In these reasons, we can rejoice too. Uh, in Jesus, who gives us salvation, victory because he died and rose again, through the Holy Spirit, we can rejoice even in difficult circumstances, even among imperfect people, all of us, as we focus on the mission. And we can rejoice too in the power of prayer and in the hope of life everlasting. And so rejoice, faith, church. Rejoice. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us uh, to rejoice always, as your word says later in Philippians, and to rejoice uh, for all these different reasons that Paul talks about here in chapter 1. Oh God, we know that rejoicing isn't, in your word, uh, a happy, happy, fake, fake thing. Uh, put on a good face even though we're hurting and struggling. But it, it's much deeper than that. It's much longer lasting than that. Um, it, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great joy in our salvation that has been given to us. And living out of that, even in times of challenge and difficulty, uh, even in the midst of, of tears and grief, even as we hang out with and rub shoulders with imperfect people in ministry and leadership in our church, as we focus on our mission, uh, we can give thanks that your work is being done. And help us too, Lord, to be reminded of and rejoice in the power of prayer and even in the hope of life everlasting, uh, that that sure, as your word says, is better by far. Be with us on our life's journey. Be with us as we have the great privilege to journey uh, together as brothers and sisters. And bless us as, as we welcome all you have called to our church. And may we be a place of great rejoicing for so many reasons. Oh Lord, give us that value. Give us that focus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.